This podcast is made possible by the following sponsors. Ben Kui and Sons. Have you looked around at your home recently and thought, this goodly frame seems to me a sterile promontory? This most excellent canopy, this majestic roof, appeareth nothing to me but a foul and pestilential congregation of vapors? It might be time to bring in your trusted local builders and remodelers to help you find a fresh perspective. Ben Quian Sons, your trusted neighborhood construction and remodeling contractors. And Timothy Fuller Architects. We believe that great language is like great architecture, elegantly simple and enduringly beautiful. When we mean to build, we first survey the plot, then draw the model, and then we see the figure of the house. Add in close collaboration with clients, and you have a pretty concise description of the creative process practiced by Timothy Fuller Architects. Timothy Fuller Architects, your trusted neighborhood architecture firm for all of your home design needs. And Hanson Tree Farm, when icicles hang by the wall and you still don't have a Christmas tree, do you ever find yourself despairing Who can impress the forest, bid the tree unfix his earthbound root? Cheer up and let the folks at Hanson Tree Farm impress the forest and unfix a perfect tree for your home. Hanson Tree Farm, your place for Christmas trees and memorable outdoor experiences with your loved ones. And MN Podcasting. All the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. Have you got a story worth telling? A library of industry knowledge to share with your field? MN Podcasting can provide you with a platform and turn all the world into your audience. And the little wine shop. My heart is thirsty for that noble pledge. Fill till the wine or swell the cup. The little wine shop, your one-stop neighborhood wine shop, where many a noble pledge begins and by the generosity of community members. Thanks to the following individuals and families. John Schumacher and Mary Briggs, Maya Beckstrom, Mary Mergenthal, Alice and David Duggan, Barbara and Gordon Murdoch, Sue Connor, Amy Swain, Claire Grimole, the Bardwell family, the Janet Lawson and Phil Carlson family, and a local Shakespeare-loving family. Upstart Crow Youth Shakespeare Troupe presents Lend Me Your Earbuds, a Pandemic Shakespeare podcast series. Episode 3, The Macbeths, Weird Sisters, Bullying, and binary explosions. Hello, my name is Sam Bardwell. I'm the artistic director of Upstart Crow Youth Shakespeare Troupe, 
and the director and adapter of the Lend Me Your Earbuds podcast series. In this episode, the actors and I invite you into our process for approaching and performing a Shakespeare play. For this week's episode on Macbeth, the major characters that leapt off the page for the actors were the Weird Sisters, a.k.a. the Three Witches. The major theme that emerged was bullying, and the major tension we identified is something we like to call... Binary Explosion! What is a binary explosion? Allow us to explain using Shakespeare. There is a rhetorical term some folks might know called antithesis. Antithesis very broadly describes the comparing of two things, often, but not always, unlike each other. For instance, To be or not to be. Being versus not being could be considered pure opposites in that famous example of antithesis. Or there's, I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him. Bury and praise are not opposites per se, but do function antithetically. Sometimes, Shakespeare clangs the very same word against itself in what we still might classify as antithesis, as in, What light is light if Sylvia be not seen? What day is day if Sylvia be not by? Applied in these various ways, antithesis is something of a rhetorical coverall. It can refer to the comparing of total opposites, as well as the comparing of identical words, and everything in between. A student of rhetoric, as Shakespeare was, would have had many more terms to precisely describe each of the subtle forms of comparison I have broadly termed as antithesis. However, time is always limited, and a fundamental understanding of antithesis in this broad sense has helped many a young actor take ownership of Shakespeare's language by being able to access the essential tensions Shakespeare introduces. So often, these essential tensions are introduced by bringing two unlikely words into contact. Think of Romeo and Juliet, a whole play about two antithetical households. Two households, both alike in dignity, from ancient grudge break to new mutiny. But though the concept of antithesis is essential to entering the language of Shakespeare, I have found, as an educator, that what seems to activate actors most is the vitality of the language, the way the words cackle when held in tension, the live-wire sense of speech when actors make the text bristle by making unexpected connections with words, by merging sound and sense in a thrilling expression. And the word antithesis tends to sound a little cerebral and stately, when what we need is a term that evokes the visceral and embodied nature of the text. As we struggled to find a better word than antithesis, we also found ourselves grappling with Shakespeare's tendency to rely on what seemed like classic and often deadly binaries, like male and female. We didn't want to reinforce such limiting binaries, and we don't want to think of Shakespeare as a peddler of them. Out of this conundrum emerged the revelatory term... Binary Explosion! It wasn't that Shakespeare was reducing ideas or characters or even words to binaries. He was exploding them. And he asks his actors to explode them again and again and again. The most important thing about these binary explosions are that they are not in the least passive. 
Like effective rhetoric, binary explosions are as active, volatile, and lively as it gets. Binary explosion puts the onus on the actor to actively make sense of an unutterable dilemma or indescribable feeling by clanging, nuzzling, dragging, or cajoling words together to create a new resonance and a deeper meaning than individual words alone can represent. Through his binary explosions, Shakespeare is not suggesting that there are opposites or differences so much as he is demanding that we explore what it is that makes one thing one thing and another thing another thing. He forces us to get at their essences, not their appearances. But Shakespeare's binary explosions are not merely rhetorical. Shakespeare also explodes binaries that form the essential tensions that animate his plays. The actors found that Macbeth is replete with rhetorical binary explosions. When the battle's lost and won. So foul and Faraday I have not seen. Lesser than Macbeth and greater. Not so happy yet much happier. Thou shalt get kings though thou be none. So all hail Macbeth and Banquo. Banquo and Macbeth. All hail. To name a few rhetorical binary explosions, but the actors also found that in Macbeth, Shakespeare completely obliterates the binary of gender. As it was illegal in Shakespeare's time for women to act in Shakespeare's plays, the female characters were played by prepubescent boy actors. So from the get-go, the casting convention of the day was exploding a binary, but Shakespeare takes it further. The Macbeths themselves are a binary explosion. Lady Macbeth continually appeals to Macbeth's manliness when coaxing him into killing King Duncan, revealing in the person of Macbeth a confused gender performance of a not-quite-man. When you durst do it, then you were a man. And to be more than what you were, you would be so much more the man. Macbeth, in a letter to Lady Macbeth, refers to his wife as my dearest partner of greatness. This is a remarkable appellation for a Shakespeare husband to bestow upon his wife. In other Shakespeare plays, like Julius Caesar and his history plays, Shakespeare has whole domestic scenes between husband and wives in which, essentially, the wife demands to be let in on what is so clearly preoccupying her husband, the husband almost relents, but finally concludes that he cannot share his secrets with his wife. It's practically a stock domestic scene for Shakespeare. The character Hotspur could sum up the majority opinion of these husbands. When his wife Kate pleads for him to trust her, he replies, Thou wilt not utter what thou dost not know, and so far will I trust thee, gentle Kate. So Macbeth's embracing of his wife as his dearest partner of greatness and divulging everything to her is remarkable. He clearly does not wear the pants, so to speak, in the way Elizabethan audiences would have expected heroic husbands to. So much for the manly man hero you may have associated with Macbeth. Lady Macbeth goes on to bemoan her husband's kindness as a quality that only serves to stifle ambition and is unbecoming in a man. Yet do I fear thy nature. It is too full of the milk of human kindness to catch the nearest way. Shakespeare continues to explode the gender binary when Lady Macbeth longs to make herself less female and more cruel, or ostensibly more male. 
Come, you spirits that tend on mortal thoughts. Unsex me here and fill me from the crown to the toe top full of direst cruelty. Come to my woman's breasts and take my milk for gall, you murdering ministers. Macbeth also affirms what seems to be his wife's innate maleness. Bring forth men, children only, for thy undaunted metal should compose nothing but males. So characters in Shakespeare are discovered by actors through the act of exploding binaries, making more complex what we so often oversimplify. Binary explosion is intentionally jarring and reorienting. It forces us to challenge our capacities for empathy and imagination, as well as reckon with our uncritical caprices. The explosion of gender and power dynamics at play with the Macbeths also connects to the theme of bullying actors identified. They noted that, First, it's Lady Macbeth who bullies and shames Macbeth into killing King Duncan. But once Macbeth murders Duncan and becomes king, he becomes the bully-in-chief himself. Finally, the actors found the weird sisters to be the most compelling presence in the play. Their position as enigmatic and powerful outsiders in the world of the play spoke to them. The weird sisters are outcasts, but they're also influencers. Another interesting thing is that they manifest realities through their prophecies. Just by telling Macbeth what he will become, they get him to do things in order to make it happen. And they seem to really relish their power, which is fun. On that note, we give you the first scene of our abridged and exploded Macbeth. We begin with the introduction of the Weird Sisters. Feel free to encant along if couplets sound familiar. sisters as they discuss their latest occult doings near a recent field of battle. As friends and fellow warriors Macbeth and Banquo return from their recent victory, they are apprehended by the Weird Sisters. Unbidden, the Weird Sisters offer Macbeth a prophecy of noble having and of royal hope. When Banquo requests his own fortune to be told, the resultant prophecy plants an ominous wedge between him and Macbeth. Before the comrades can gain any clarity, the Weird Sisters vanish. Another one of their peers appears and validates in part the prophecy concerning Macbeth, leaving Macbeth and Banquo stuck between incredulity and guilty desire.
South End, sister. Killing swine. Sister, where thou? A sailor's wife had chestnuts in her lap <laughs> and munched and munched and munched. Give me, quoth I, a won't be witch. <gasps> the rump-fed runyon cries, her husband's to Aleppo gone, master of the tiger. But in a sieve, all thither sail, and like a rat without a tail, all do, all do, and all do. I'll give thee a wind. <laughs> Thou art kind. And I another. <laughs> Though his ship cannot be lost, yet it shall be tempest-tossed. Look what I have. Show me, show me. Here I have a pilot's thumb, wrecked as homeward he did come. Posters of the sea and land. Thus do you go about, about. Thrice to thine and thrice to mine and thrice again to make up nine. Peace! The charms wound up. So foul and fair a day I have not seen. How far is it called to forest? <gasps> what are these, so withered and so wild in their attire, that look not like the inhabitants of the earth and yet are on it? Live you? Or are you aught that man may question? Speak, if you can. What are you? All hail Macbeth, hail to thee, thane of Gloms. 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 All hail Macbeth, hail to thee, thane of Cawdor. Cawdor. All hail Macbeth, thou shalt be king hereafter. King. King. Good sir, why do you start and seem to fear things that do sound so fair? In the name of truth, are you fantastical, or that indeed which outwardly ye show? My noble partner, you greet with present grace and great prediction of noble having and of royal hope, that he seems wrapped withal. To me you speak not. If you can look into the seeds of time and say which grain will grow and which will not, speak then to me, who neither beg nor fear your favors nor your hate. Hail! 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 Lesser than Macbeth and greater. Not so happy, yet much happier. Thou shalt get kings, though thou be none. So all hail Macbeth and Banquo. Banquo and Macbeth, all hail. Stay, you imperfect speakers. Tell me more. By Sindel's death, I know I am Thane of Glams. But how of Cotter? The Thane of Cotter lives, a prosperous gentleman. And to be king stands not within the prospect of belief. King! The earth hath bubbles as the water has, and these are of them. Whither are they vanished? Into the air, and what seemed corporal melted as breath into the wind. Would they had stayed? Were such things here as we do speak about, or have we eaten on the insane root that takes the reason prisoner? Your children shall be kings. You shall be king. And Thane of Cotter, too. Went it not so? To the self-same tune and words. Who's here? The king hath happily received, Macbeth, the news of thy success. I am sent to give thee from our royal master thanks. And, for an earnest of a greater honor, he bid me from him, call thee Thane of Cotter. In which edition, hail, most worthy Thane, for it is thine. 
What? Can the devil speak true? The Thane of Cotter lives. Why do you dress me in borrowed robes? Who was the Thane lives yet, but under heavy judgment bears that life which he deserves to lose. Gloms and Thane of Cotter. The greatest is behind. Thanks for your pains. <laughs> do you not hope your children shall be kings? When those that gave the Thane of Cotter to me promise no less to them? That trusted home might yet enkindle you unto the crown, besides the Thane of Cotter. But tis strange, and oftentimes to win us to our harm, the instruments of darkness tell us truths, win us with honest trifles to betray us in deepest consequence. Let us toward the king, think upon what hath chanced, and, at more time, the interim having waited, let us speak our free hearts each to other. Very gladly. Till then, enough. Come, friends. Next we meet Macbeth's dearest partner of greatness, Lady Macbeth. She has just read a letter from Macbeth in which he has relayed to her all the news, including the witch's prophecies and his something more than serendipitous promotion to the Thane of Cawdor. Sensing the future in the instant, she begins to plot their way to the throne. Gloms thou art, and cotter, and shalt be what thou art promised. Yet do I fear thy nature, it is too full of the milk of human kindness to catch the nearest way. What is your tidings? The king comes here tonight. Thou art mad to say it. So please you, it is true, our thane is coming. Give him tending, he brings great news. The raven himself is hoarse, that croaks the fatal entrance of Duncan under my battlements. Come, you spirits, that tend on mortal thoughts. Unsex me here, and fill me from the crown to the toe top full of direst cruelty. Come to my woman's breasts, and take my milk for gall, you murdering ministers. Great gloms, worthy cotter, greater than both, by the all hail hereafter. Thy letters have transported me beyond this ignorant present, and I feel now the future in the instant. My dearest love, Duncan comes here tonight. And when goes hence? Tomorrow, as he purposes. Oh, never shall sun that morrow see. Your face, my thane, is as a book where men may read strange matters. To beguile the time, look like the time. Bear welcome in your eye, your hand, your tongue. Look like the innocent flower, but be the serpent under it. Leave all the rest to me. Given a little time alone, Macbeth has become what his wife calls brain-sickly. He has lost his nerve and plans to abandon the plot to kill King Duncan, that is, until Lady Macbeth reappears and convinces him again to bend up his corporal agents to the terrible feat. I have no spur to prick the sides of my intent, but only vaulting ambition, which overleaps itself and falls on the other. How now? What news? He has almost supped. Why have you left the chamber? Hath he asked for me? Know you not he has? We will proceed no further in this business. He hath honored me of late, and I have bought golden opinions from all sorts of people, 
which will be worn now in their newest gloss, not cast aside so soon. Was the hope drunk wherein you dressed yourself? Hath it slept since? And wakes it now to look so green and pale at what it did so freely? Prithee, peace, and dare do all that may become a man. Who dares do more is none. What beast was it then that made you break this enterprise to me? When you durst do it, then you were a man. And to be more than what you were, you would be so much more the man. If we should fail? We fail, but screw your courage to the sticking place and will not fail. Bring forth men, children only, for thy undaunted metal should compose nothing but males. I am settled, and bend up each corporal agent to this terrible feat. Away and mock the time with fairest show. False face must hide what the false heart doth know. We find the Macbeths shortly after Macbeth has killed Duncan. Lady Macbeth accosts Macbeth for being so lost in his thoughts and is already trying to move past the deed herself, while Macbeth begins to lose his bearing. Worthy Thane, you do unbend your noble strength to think so brainsickly of things. My hands are of your color, but I shame to wear a heart so white. A little water clears us of this deed. How easy is it then? Be not lost so poorly in your thoughts. To know my deed, twere best not know myself. We find our coven of weird sisters brewing another sinister-sounding potion when Macbeth arrives. He comes seeking clarity, but is instead shown three oracular apparitions that leave him dangerously optimistic. Thrice the branded cat hath mewed. Thrice, and once the hedge pig whined. Her beard cries, tis time, tis time. Rounds about the cauldron go, in the poisoned entrails throw toad that under cold stone, days and nights has thirty-one, sweltered venom sleeping got, boil thou first in the charmed pots. Double, double, toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble. Flay of a fenny snake, in the cauldron boil and bake, eye of newt and toe of frog, wool of bat and tongue of dog. Adder's fork and blindworm's sting, lizard's leg and owlet's wing. For a charm of powerful trouble, like a hell broth boil and bubble. Double, double, toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble. Scale of dragon, tooth of wolf, witch's mummy, maw and gulf. Of the raven salt sea shark, root of hemlock, digged in the dark. Ditch delivered by a drab. Make the gruel thick and slab, add thereto a tiger's chaudron, for the ingredients of our cauldron. Double, double, double toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble. Cool it with a baboon's blood, then the charm is firm and good. By the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. Open locks, whoever knocks. How now, you secret black and midnight hags? What is you do? A deed without a name. I conjure you, by that which you profess. However you come to know it, answer me to what I ask you. Speak. Demand. We'll answer. Say if thou'st rather hear it from our mouths or from our masters. Call him. Let me see him. 
pouring Sal's blood that hath eaten her nine pharaoh. Come high or low, thyself in office deftly show. Tell me, thou unknown power. He knows thy thought, hear his speech, but say thou not. Macbeth, 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 beware, Macduff, beware the vein of fife. Dismiss me, enough. Whate'er thou art, for thy good caution, thanks. Thou hast hurt my fear aright, but one word more. He will not be commanded. Here's another, more potent than the first. Macbeth, Macbeth, Macbeth. Had I three ears, I'd hear thee. Be bloody, bold, and resolute. Laugh to scorn the power of man, for none of woman born shall harm Macbeth. Then live, Macduff. What need I fear of thee? But yet I'll make assurance double sure, and take a bond of fate thou shalt not live, that I may tell pale-hearted fear it lies, and sleep in spite of thunder. What is this that rises like the issue of a king? Listen, but speak not to it. Be lion-metalled, proud, and take no care who chafes, who frets, or where conspirers are. Macbeth shall never vanquished be until great Burnham Wood to high Dunsinane Hill shall come against him. That will never be. Who can impress the forest? Bid the tree unfix his earthbound root. Sweet bodements, good. Rebellion's head rise never till the wood of Burnham rise. And our high-placed Macbeth shall live the lease of nature, pay his breath to time and mortal custom. Yet my heart throbs to know one thing. Tell me, if your art can tell so much, shall Banquo's issue ever reign in this kingdom? Seek to know no more. I will be satisfied. Deny me this and an eternal curse fall on you. Let me know. Why sinks that cauldron? And what noise is this? Show! 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 Show his eyes and grieve his heart. Come like shadows, so depart. The weird sisters proceed to horrify Macbeth by conjuring an endless spectral procession of Banquo's progeny wearing the crown. In our final scene, we discover Lady Macbeth sleepwalking, a doctor and caregiver overhear her as she attempts to wash her hands of the blood that saturates them, the blood of Duncan, Banquo, and the Macduff family, the same Macduff, Thane of Fife, Macbeth was told to beware by the weird sisters. Yet here's a spot. Hark, she speaks. I will set down what comes from her to satisfy my remembrance the more strongly. Out, damn spot, out, I say. One, two, why then tis time to do it. Hell is murky. Fie, my lord, fie, a soldier and a feared? Yet who would have thought the old man to have so much blood in him? Do you mark that? The thane of Fife had a wife. Where is she now? What, will these hands ne'er be clean? No more that, my lord, no more that. You mar all with this starting. Go to, go to, you have known what you should not. She has spoke what she should not, I am sure of that. Heaven knows what she has known. Here's the smell of the blood still. All the perfumes of Arabia will not sweeten this little hand. Oh, oh, oh. What a sigh is there. The heart is sorely charged. I would not have such a heart in my bosom for the dignity of the whole body. 
This disease is beyond my practice. Yet I have known those which have walked in their sleep who have died holily in their beds. Wash your hands, put on your nightgown, look not so pale. I tell you yet again, Banquo's buried, he cannot come out of his grave. Even so? To bed, to bed, there's knocking at the gate. Come, 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 give me your hand. What's done cannot be undone. To bed, to bed, to bed. Will she go now to bed? Directly. More needs she, the divine, than the physician. God, God forgive us all, look after her, remove from her the means of all annoyance, and still keep eyes upon her. So, good night. This has been an Upstart Crow Youth Shakespeare Troupe production. Visit our website, upstartcrow.org, where you can learn more about our troupe and find a link to donate. The actors were... Simone Whiskerhoff as the first weird sister. Jonah Sutton as the second weird sister. Nick Sorensen as the third weird sister. Soren Sackreiter as Macbeth. Greta Seppinen as Lady Macbeth. Kai Sackreiter as Banquo. First apparition. Second apparition. And third apparition, as well as caregiver. Alice Wagner Hempstead as Angus, first messenger, and doctor. Our sound tech was Soren Sackrider. This podcast was mixed and edited by Marshall Saunders of MN Podcasting. Lend Me Your Earbuds was adapted and directed by Sam Bardwell. Thanks for listening!